picture a therapist's office. You got the image, or think about what you would find there, make a mental list of them. All right, so you've got chairs, table, books, dice, a DM screen. Oh, is that not what you were picturing? Welcome to Gaining Advantage. Welcome to Gaining Advantage. We are using role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons to help you make lives better. A few announcements before we go any further. First of all, uh, update on Limitless Heroics, including characters with disabilities, mental illness, and neurodivergence in 5th edition. We have released the electronic version to our Kickstarter backers, but right after that, we found some major accessibility issues that require some pretty significant work on it. And so... We'll be putting out hard copies soon to our Kickstarter backers first. Then we will produce an updated version of the electronic uh, copy, and then it'll go public. So if you are looking for it, you're waiting for it, then all you got to do is jump over to our website and sign up for our email list. It's called the Dragon's Horde because we treasure you. And uh, you can sign up there and you'll find out as soon as it's available and get discounts and, and all kinds of great deals. And so I encourage you to do that. Also, speaking of other things that are available, meanwhile, we have our coloring book that's based on Limitless Heroics. It's a great opportunity to, um, to get a little bit of a taste of it. And uh, one of the things I'm really excited about with this coloring book, uh, aside from the fact that you can give this to a kid and... It will normalize disabled heroes in their lives because that's just what they're used to. That's what they're literally coloring and, and creating. Almost every page has a quote from a disabled, mentally ill, or neurodivergent person who submitted quotes to be sent to me, uh, giving their perspectives on, on all kinds of different things, on, on their experiences and uh, things they find encouraging and, and all kinds of stuff like that. It's really cool. Uh, I love it. You can jump over to our website right now, wormworkspublishing.com slash shop, and you'll find it there. And it's available both in uh, softcover and electronic. Now, if you'd like to find all the different things that we are producing and get access to everything right now, including Limitless Heroics, and have it all linked together nicely uh, to make it really easy to use. For $3 a month via our Patreon, you get access to the Dragon's Lair, which has all of our publications. It has pre-release content there, uh, all of Limitless Heroics broken down into its individual entries, all linked together. Uh, There's adventures, there's the Limitless Champions adventures are going to be posted there before they even get to the Kickstarter. And uh, and so if you're waiting for Limitless Heroics and you miss the Kickstarter and the pre-orders, you can actually go to the Lair right now and access all those pieces. And in fact, the PDF is also there uh, at our $9 a month uh, level tier. And so you can even get that the one that that we still need to uh, finish the editing, but the initial copy is already there. So now with all that said, let's get to our interview. Life is hard, and games make life better. 
But what happens when trained professionals use games to make life a lot better? Today, we welcome Jack Birkenstock Jr., the Executive Director of the Bodana Group, to tell us how that works. Welcome, Jack. Uh, thank you for having me. It's good, good to be here. All right, so what would you like us to know about you personally, specifically talking to the RPG crowd? Uh, well, I, uh, I'm not just a uh, practitioner. I'm also a lifelong gamer. I've been RPGing since I was about 12 years old. I have played in probably about 40 to 50 different systems. Um, I started with D&D, of course, because everyone does. Uh, then I went into Ghostbusters, Marvel, Call of Cthulhu, Shadowrun, uh, all the way up to the new classics, as it were, like Kids on Bikes and uh, Teens in Space. So uh, I definitely got the chops as a true gamer because, as, as we're going to find out through the talk, uh, the game is uh, not the destination, but the vehicle. Uh, but it is still one of the most compelling parts about why this model works and what we can do to enhance that. All right. So... Tell us about your work, uh, the work of the Bodana Group. Sure. So uh, Bodana Group, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we're based in York, Pennsylvania, and we offer a wide array of services. So we do direct services either for individuals, private pay, or we also run for agencies that may not have people that can run games uh, for their company. Um, so that's part of uh, our services on. And then we offer training and consultation. Uh, we actually have a very robust training program. So if you are a professional who would like to learn how to do this, bring it into your own agency or practice. Uh, we offer a uh, continuing education hour approved training series. Uh, so it's essentially uh, 40 hours total. Um, and that's on theory, application. Uh, we actually offer direct practice in our training program. So you actually eventually plan and run a two-hour one-shot with other professionals. Uh, and through that, we also offer consultation. So if you want to bring not only RPG, but we also board game, uh, we offer board game services as well, uh, which we also have trainings in. So we do a lot. Uh, we, we do a lot. Plus, we're developing our own role-playing game called Branch Riders, which is designed for fun first, but we found it more helpful to bake the therapeutic elements into the setting, the mechanics. So this way, therapists, practitioners, educators, even parents will find it easier to work meaningful and intentional goals into the game, but at its heart and its core, it's an excessively fun system to run and very easy as well. Cool. I think that's great. kind of most of what we do. Yeah. So, can you give some um, some specific examples of of uh, like therapeutic gaming? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, we've mostly uh, worked with uh, kids and teens. Um, uh, a lot of the kids that we've worked with uh, are autistic. Uh, we also have worked with kids with different behavioral challenges, social skills. So. Generally, what we do is we determine uh, what goals the client has, then we determine what type of therapeutic approach would be best. Would they benefit from like CBT, psychotherapy? Uh, would they benefit from, um, you know, rational emotive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy? And then what we do is we find ways within the structure of the game to repli replicate or simulate that. So for example, 
let's say a person has social anxiety. One of the common hallmarks of social anxiety is what we would define as imposter syndrome or negative self-talk. So what we might do is in the context of the game, we might create a character that represents that internal voice externally. So through role play, we have this character as an NPC who's like very judgmental and like, you know, calls into question. And some people are like, yeah, but you know, that's happening. So does that really work? Yes, it, it does. We, uh, we actually uh, did a research study on the efficacy of RPG with a local university and their IRB. And what we found was when people were reporting on the game, they were like, you know what? I'm in this role-playing session, right? We're in this kids' old bikes town. So it's this small town sheriff like, hey, now come on, you kids. You know, we kind of turned it up. And the player's like, so I'm in this game. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I'm having this visceral emotional reaction. Oh, my God, this character reminds me of my father. I hate my father because of the way they said this or did this. And they would say, but it's a game. Why am I still having this reaction if this is a game. And then later they took that information and started to process it deeper with their one-to-one -one session. And it was just fascinating to them as well as us that exploring narrative allows you to notice things because your feelings are there. And, you know, it's what Sarah Lynn Bowman and a lot of other of us who do this kind of work, you know, we talk about bleed you know, how much your personal identity bleeds into your character and how much your player experiences character bleeds over into the person that you are. So uh, the Madonna model, um, we actually kind of refer to it as therapy blended RPG because we mix therapeutic approaches and techniques with a very strong, compelling narrative. We believe that the story of the game is what drives people to conclusions, discovery, self-awareness, uh, and even practicing real-world skills. So there, for us, literally, it is about the play. That's such an interesting example because um, this this little miniature here, this is Gog the Ogre, all right? And because I, I struggle with uh, imposter syndrome, and, um, and, and Gog sits on my desk, and, and when I get those sort of voices telling me that I'm worthless and terrible and stuff, um, that I, I just say, shut up, Gog, you're a liar. And um, that, that's amazing. One of, one of our designer friends, uh, Bear Winters, he introduced, uh, I can't remember who it was. We were on a panel at our Save Against Fear convention. <clears throat> and during the middle of that, the, the determiner was shut up. Stamford was the name that had been given to imposter syndrome. But yeah, that that's it was what our study was all about. Efficacy with social anxiety with adults. Yeah, so I love it. How do you um? How do you find the uh, you know wh what advantages do you find over uh, traditional therapy uh, settings and methods? Um, one the the engagement factor of it being a recreational opportunity and and a game allows for a lot of different factors. I mean, one people feel safer because it's not real world consequences. So in most times I can, I can explore these issues and these concepts. And if I make a mistake, if I, you know, quote unquote, screw up, you know, no big whoop, right? It, it's just a game. Um, we've also found that that character identity and some folks call it scaffolding. Sometimes they call it aesthetic distancing, you know, whatever you call it. The fact that I'm playing a character, I can explore things as the character that maybe I as a person 
am either unwilling or, you know, uncomfortable, or maybe I don't feel confident, but my character could be more than what I want to be, which in the therapy game, it's just, that's an approach goal. It's something I want to work towards myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm not only the hair club president, I'm also a client, right? <laughs> when I was younger, first starting an RPG, I was not at all confident. I was very, very low self-esteem. I had ADHD and bipolar to complete, you know, disclose. But through gaming, I played characters that were more confident than myself. They were more gregarious and more outgoing. And by playing those characters, I got to kind of practice the role before I then kind of turned it into real life and, you know, running stories for my friends and like, wow, I'm pretty creative. They really like what I'm doing here. And the way I did this character really zinged with them. Wow, I'm better at this. Than I, maybe I'm better at other things, you know? So role-playing really saved me from a life of social isolation where now you could say, hey, Jack, here's a here's here's a PowerPoint presentation uh, with a couple of notes. Could you speak in front of 5,000 people? Yep. What time do I go on? Not a, not a problem. That was not me at 11, 12, or 13. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really think that this model allows people to dive in into ways that traditional talk therapy does not. I mean, I jokingly, having been through a lot of therapy myself when I was younger, I, wow, I'm paying you to tell you how much my life sucks for an hour. This is wonderful. Let me get more of that in my life, right? But instead, we talk about what you want to work on. We don't have to call it out directly every session, but you play a character in a storyline with challenges that are customized. Like we don't run modules where everything is individualized. So this challenge is built for you. To, to explore emotion, to connect with yourself, to, you know, discover, you know, who you are through this character that, I mean, let's be honest, every character we make has a part of ourselves in it. We can't avoid that as humans. So that that's what I think is the most engaging, that it literally, RPG can be partnered with virtually any therapeutic approach to find an analog of how we replicate that approach, whether it's exposure therapy, whether it's, you know, when we talk about DBT and exploring your visceral, you know, your bodily reaction versus your mental reaction. Yeah, we, we can explore that. You know, if it's, I'm uncomfortable with people arguing, I can create those NPCs that are arguing with each other because we also have a co-facilitator in the Bodana model. Uh, so we can rehearse and, you know, just, have people encounter these things in a way that is much less threatening and, and, and even confrontational in the case of things like thinking errors and whatnot. Reminds me of, um, I've heard of, of therapy, especially with uh, younger children using puppets. Yeah. Well, it, uh, puppets, toys, uh, art, sand tray. I mean, it, it, to be honest, the, uh, Therapeutic use of RPG, and, and again, I don't say RPG therapy, I don't say D&D therapy, because, you know, in, in the Bodana model, the therapy has to come first. You have to decide on a direction and an approach you're using, and even the question of whether or not the client is appropriate for group using D&D or any other kind of role-playing game. Some folks who are very high on, say, a social anxiety, they're not recommended for group, so you know, it's not technically for everybody, 
but you know, you, you have to take the same safeguards you would with any other model. But yeah, it's it's a mix of aspects of play therapy, expressive arts therapy, narrative therapy, psychodrama. Like there's so many things in this rich stew that 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 is RPG as a form of therapy. Right. So, um, t- tell us about some of the uh, how you've seen lives change. This you've you've alluded to that a little bit, but um, you have other uh, examples. Of course, there's all the confidentiality issues. But oh yeah, absolutely. Every, every person I talk about will be their character name, and they all have the last name HIPAA, just to make sure that you know I don't gloss over into into territory. But uh, no, we've actually seen uh, meaningful change. I remember quite quite a few young people. Um, I'm trying to think of some specific examples. So there's one young man, uh, came to us very high functioning, uh, autistic, and he just had very little confidence. He was, you know, typical wallflower. Um, and through exploring the game, we knew that one of the big goals that he had was getting a job and maintaining a job because he was, you know, like I said, he was very shy, wasn't very open or very talkative. So what we actually did creatively was any time that they would go to uh, the royalty or whoever they went to for their quests, <clears throat> we created kind of like the the negative version of like, you know, if you meet the Scooby-Doo crew and then all of a sudden they show up and there's like another group of teens that are groovy and solve mysteries, we literally created an opportunity for him to apply for the quest in the campaign. So we built in the king was asking questions that were reflective of questions you would be asked on a job interview. So we found a way through the modicum of play and fun to ask some of these questions that he would need to know how to answer, at least in spirit. And then we kind of had some follow-up chat and was basically like, Hey, so tell me, Ben, uh, why, why are you nervous about interviews? And he would kind of talk and I go, well, you just succeeded in your interview there. And he goes, well, that's different. And I went, well, how's that different? He goes, well, that's not a real job. <clears throat> I go, until you get the one you're applying for, that one ain't real yet. But, you know, let's try to make it more real, right? Um, we we also have used things like uh, real world consequences, quote unquote, in the game. Uh, we were playing kids on bikes and one of the young men was playing a brutish jock. And his whole thing was, you know, I'm a jock. I beat up nerds. And one of the other players was playing a character who was playing a nerd. So in the middle of this, he was like, well, I want to, you know, give him a wedgie and rough him up. So I said to the player, are you okay with that? He goes, yes. So it had been happening that the player's character had just been talking with his in-game dad. So, you know, there are kids on bikes, his kids off running into like shadowy catacombs or whatever. Dad's like, haven't seen you a lot of lately at home, son. Like everything okay? Like it was like an ABC after school special. Mm-hmm. And so dad was watching his concerned son and this jock character is going to like rough him up. Now, my line is this young man was had a lot of anger, uh, had a lot of like uh, Napoleon complex, I guess you would say. He's a very short guy. He was like always, well, you got to be the toughest guy in the schoolyard. So he was all about physical representation. So he was roughing up the nerd character dad came out confronted him and the guy's like what are you going to do about it i'm a kid i'll beat your son up whatever i want so in character i had the dad cold cock him i I had him just punch him in the face he's like wait a minute he can't hit a kid i go no he can and is that what your character says and he goes yeah you can't hit me i'm a kid 
And the dad said, you put your hands on my son. I don't care. I'll go to jail. And you know what? I'll be laughing at you from the stall next to you because no one puts their hand on my son. And they had this big conversation as characters when they were in jail. And mom was like, wow, it, we actually had a conversation about consequences of our behavior and how you may think you're doing it for the right reason, but that doesn't matter. And sometimes people don't care. So you got to make you know, you got to be careful about what it is that you put out there. So, uh, I mean, those are, I could tell stories all day. I don't like literally we could be here for two hours. Um, but those are just some ways that we try to get creative with how we connect to goals that people are having through the story. And sometimes it's not even what we planned, but paying attention to what players bring to the session. And realizing, oh, that's what they really want to work on. And following kind of where they take the play, which again is, is very much like a lot of aspects of play therapy and, you know, even creative arts therapy. I'm wondering about uh, parents and um, if parents bring their kids and, and reactions to, to the method and, uh, and what kind of reactions you've gotten. We've got a lot of different, I mean, most of the reactions that we've gotten from parents has been very, very positive. Uh, most of the parents, one, are kind of surprised that their kids kind of double down on it as much as they do. And, and it's funny, we, we always get a mix of like half of our parents are gamers themselves. So they're like, man, this gaming helped me when I was a kid. So uh, my kid needs some support. So I'm going to get them into this which is cool because then we can transition them to like game together as a family or, you know, let's say it is just mom and, you know, the child go to a convention together, like do a thing on the weekends as family. Right. But for just as many parents that don't understand it, I literally had a mom just recently. It was like, look, I don't understand anything that he's talked about. He said something about a hit point thing. And I went, oh yeah, last session, he had the option of whether he wanted to take the, you know, the minimum hit point for his level boost or whether he wanted to roll random. So he could either get eight hit points or, the, or he risked it, you know, to get 13 and he rolled a 10 on his D10 for his hit points. And he was just over the moon. And again, not a therapeutic thing, ostensibly right but mom is like his excitement and just how happy he is and the fact that he's making friends in this group that he's starting to connect with outside of the group and i'm like well that's our goal you know not only do we use this directly to work on goals that people have we've also mixed in the aspect of we're not going to just play part of our program is that we teach the kids in our groups how to be gms so now you can start a game club at your local school. You start one at your library, start one in your home. So you can take these things that you're learning and use them to develop natural social supports. We also run a lot of our games out of game stores. So we'll have like a private room at the game store. Hey, we're just a game group, right? That's all. Like we don't say to everybody, hi, we're the therapy group. Hi, everybody. Like we don't do that. Um, but then we normalize it and the kids are like, wow, this place is awesome. Can I come back? And I'm like, yeah, you could even come back on a day. I'm not here. And you could make <laughs> some friends and guess what? They play magic and they do minis and board games and all this cool stuff that is going to open up this humongous world. It's like how many game, how many gamers 
can tell you of friends that they've had for like 25, 30 years. And where did you meet? At a table playing RPG or at a store or whatever, playing board games or magic. So, yeah, we really have gotten a lot of support from parents. Um, they love how excited their kids get about it. They love the way that we're being creative about testing things like resilience and social skills, critical thinking, you know, all these concepts. They like the way that we're getting to their child and the fact of, you know, the things that they tell us. And, you know, we had a story just this past week where you've been here. The dice hate you some nights, right? It It's just you... You can't roll above a 10 to save your life. And one of the young persons in our group, um, let's just say he took that situation very emotionally. He was very upset, you know, crying because he was just, I can't do anything. I'm just not any good to the group tonight. And this is horrible. And we, and my co-facilitator was kind of like, well, wait a minute, dude. Like, yeah, these powers you have, that's awesome. But that's not as important as like three turns ago <clears throat> when you took a hit in combat to stabilize your buddy who is like on his third death save, right? So it's not what's on your sheet that's important. It's what's up here and what's in here. And he was just, really? Like he came around and mom's like, oh, thank God I'm not the only person who sees this. If he isn't stellar at everything, he really has this like esteem issue. She's like, thank you for working him through this. And I go, Oh, role-playing games are going to give you a lot of opportunity to to, to test your resilience uh, against, you know, whether it's the dice or poor planning or whatever. So, yeah, I would say that parents have been very pleased with, with what it is that we do and how we do it because, because of how it opens them up and how it opens up their world. I'm not surprised. I mean, even, you know, and we've, we've talked about this, that the the games kind of in, have this inherent benefit to them uh, yeah so no absolutely. before you even add the you know any kind of professional you know therapeutic aspect or anything like that so you're already kind of starting out ahead it, yeah that that's really one of the things that we try to express to folks is this is not the kind of a thing where every five minutes we ask a how do you feel question or it's like you know hyper intensive because you just said it yourself. I said it earlier, right? I gained inherent benefit just from playing. Now, some people don't need therapeutic advanced intervention on it, right? This is why you have like just basic social skills groups where we just play to get better at friends. We use it also to like, okay, how can we work on maybe depression or anxiety in the framework of a role-playing game? But it really is about taking that experience that people have naturally and just kind of guiding or directing it a little bit with some intentional creation of either the storyline, the NPC, the challenges that we run into, that's really what's at the heart of it, which, which again, we want to when it's clinical, we will make sure our goals at their forefront so we're not just getting paid to have fun. Um, but yeah, at, at its heart, anyone can gain provided with the right group because there are some toxic circles out there. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, you gain so much, not only as a player, but that's the other reason we teach kids how to be GMs, because now, oh my gosh, I could tell that story if we had time. 
um, if, if you don't mind. I, I get I want to okay. make sure to check on time yeah, here. Absolutely. So uh, one, one of the young men, the guy that I mentioned earlier with the job, uh, one of the other stories was we, we joked that we take the summers off of Bodana, that our, our clients run the groups and we take them part of players and they, they run the show. So we teach them all about, you know, five act structure and how to set up a scenario and an encounter and a challenge. They pick the system. They design it with one of the facilitators. So they get help. And the first time that he ran this, um, and I don't mean this to sound cruel when I say the words, it was just a train wreck uh, to a, to a degree, right? He ran the game and it was very much that, you know, he was telling a story that he felt was compelling and very interesting. And it was just shine a light on him. And all he was doing was just telling the story. And like one of the other kids in the group kind of leaned over to me. He was like, are we going to get to do anything? And I was kind of like, I don't know. I'm not your GM. Why don't you ask him? And so at the, at the end, he was like, can I have feedback? And so everybody, we said, well, can, do you want very direct, honest feedback? And he went, yes, I have to get better. And we said, okay. So we outlined everything. We were like, well, you didn't really listen to your players a lot. And you had a great story, but we didn't feel like we were a part of it. Right. And everybody gave such great feedback. And he took like six months to replan, get a new story together. And when he designed it, the skill side flip of the active listening, the reflective listening, working outside of his plan and his like preformed idea, like that session he ran the second time around obliterated theory of mind for this young person because he was why well, I, I want to do this right. So he really knuckled down and we're like, that is another layer of skill definition and demonstration. When you talk about running, not to mention the fact that it then gets that person out. Like, you know, we have kids now that are running for their local school groups that are a part of our groups. And now we get to talk about, well, how'd that feel? And well, how was that like? And did they, did they destroy your plot? And he goes, Oh yeah. You know, it's right. No plot survives first contact with players. We know this, <laughs> right. All these truths. But again, we use them to benefit um, in, in helping people move forward. I love telling stories like this. Um, I love hearing them. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> All right. So you just rescued a genie from the hands of an Efridi and offers oh. you three wishes to achieve goals to make the world better. What do you wish for? Um, I wish, uh, one, I wish that people automatically saw the perspective of the other person that they're talking about before they were allowed to say something in response. Um, I, I just, I would, I would probably wish that three times to make it even more so, but, um, I would also wish that people learn to appreciate what they had within their means. And I, and I'm, I'm just not going to be shy. I, I don't disagree with a person becoming a billionaire, but I think that's just ridiculous that any one person a needs that much money or B is then thereby entitled by their right of having that money or whatever that they make the decisions for so many other people 
and it's all based out of greed. So I just wish people were maybe maybe limited. You know, yeah, it's okay to have some nice things. I bought some Simon Kickstarters myself, so yeah, extra money is cool. <clears throat> but uh, I guess I guess kind of equal distribution. So maybe that makes me a communist. I'm canceled now. Uh, <laughs> I've I've been ranting about that for the past couple of weeks. So oh. with everything that's been going on on Twitter, oh. yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, too much too much money, too few people. Um, I said, you know, if, if you could, if, if you within your means to write a check and and go there now, um, as soon as this is taken and implemented, literally everyone in the world will have access to clean water. And like, if you yeah. could do that, and um, like, and 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 not really, even, you know, wouldn't even affect the way yeah. your life, you know, not your lifestyle day. or anything, and and you could do that, and you don't, what is going on? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and I'd also, I wish also that people would be able to recognize their biases and the impact of them, not only on themselves, but on others. I, I Again, at, at my heart, I will fully admit this always, I, I follow the Buddhist path. Uh, it's very central. And I just, you know, I want that Star Trek future. Uh but unfortunately, we're not going to get there with with greed, hate, judgmental, and self serving ideology. You know, we have to. We have. We don't. We're not alone in this planet. We share it with other people, many other people, and we got to stop thinking just of ourselves. So, I guess if you had to put all those wishes under one label, those those would be my three wishes. Yeah. No, well, that's great. I. <laughs> kind of makes you dream doesn't it <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah well we we make it our reality in little pockets sometimes they have a mark sometimes they don't it's what i call the echo principle <clears throat> i know i'm not going to change the world but i would like if something that i say at some point echoes back to the person i said it to and that it helps them out either in a time of crisis or in a time of need and i think that if everyone thought about what they say and how it would echo I think we'd hear a lot better things, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so what one message, speaking of echoes, would you like to <laughs> give to gamers struggling with mental health issues? While games can be therapeutic and beneficial, I would say that, you know, realize that um, there is a difference between a professional helping you with something mental health and uh, just gaming for fun, or you know, to us, there's a difference between therapeutic benefit and clinical benefit. Clinical benefit is when you're targeting a diagnosis and a mental health illness, what have you. Therapeutic is, you know, I spend, <laughs> I, I work at human services, I spend 60 hours a week uh, being Jack, executive director and clinician. Yeah, for four, six hours, I don't want to be Jack. That's therapeutic. That's like a mini vacation that I can take from my dining room. Um, so I would say that with that, one, don't force your friends to be your therapist because that's not what they're there for. Um, but on the other hand, I also want to kind of advise to all gamers, please use safety tools at your table and legit use them because they're helpful for fun as well as for everyone's general mental health. I will always... That's an advocacy point. I'll, I'll never, this dog will never let go of that bone, in other words. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I mean, just um, 
echo that more that um you know i hear a lot of people say well we don't use them both you know this group's been together for years and, and whatever and, and stuff I'm like okay well you know it but if you if you implement it there may be something that just hasn't been addressed in all this time and maybe people feel like well it's been so long that i don't really feel like it's like it's too late to bring it up now but um but if you actually implement something like that then it what it's doing is it's at least offering to people the opportunity um to to address it It, well and and it's and it's even because you know i hear a lot of folks like well you know but you know i come up with this great adventure and you know all of a sudden you know they say no you can't do that and it's it's censorship it's trying to stop you know well if you're at my table then you know and i'm like but that's part of safety tools letting people know like, yes, this adventure is going to cr- include themes of death, this, this. And people are like, well, doesn't that ruin the story? You're playing a role-playing game. How many conversations about meta do we have to have? Like we mm-hmm. all know it's fiction. How many times do you guess a movie halfway in, but you watch until the end anyway? But you hit upon the most important point is, <clears throat> yes, you've been gaming together for years, but like you said, you don't know if one of the people at table has been cringing every single time that you play an NPC or inject a plot element, or maybe it's worse than cringing. Maybe it's re-traumatizing or triggering this person, but now they're sitting in silence, miserable, not wanting, because we're herd animals. We don't want to upset the apple cart. So people are nine times out of 10 going to be more quiet, which is why I and a bunch of other folks will also say that until you've had an unsafe table, you really haven't had a safe table. Un- until people at the table know that if they were to raise their hand or tap an X card or you know push a button on script change, until that has been respected, heard, and acknowledged, you don't technically have a safe table. You have a table intending to be safe, but until you've tested it, you're not safe yet. Be- because you don't know if what would happen or if somebody would even bring it up, you don't know. And the beautiful thing is, is once you start having that safe table, yeah, it's a little rough at first when everything comes out, right? Or maybe you start to have those combos, but over time, everything smooths down. People are gelling a lot better. And, you know, I'll advocate script change again as a safety toolkit that actually is more positive, it's it's not censorship. It's a beautiful thing. It's designed by uh, Bo Yeager Sheldon. You can get it on itch.io. It's fantastic. So right. I keep it so, on the soapbox there. Sorry about that. No, no, no. Um, absolutely. So okay. So I, you may have already answered this question, but one what one message would you like to give gamers who are not struggling with mental health issues? Enjoy the game, and please, for the love of all that is holy, do not gatekeep this hobby, because there was a time where you didn't know a D12 from a D20, and you didn't know what RPG was, and it doesn't belong to anyone. And if you like D&D over another system or another edition, just say you like it, and that's it. Like, stop gatekeeping, stop shaming, stop... stop boxing people out of this hobby again i i'm 50 this year i legit was stuffed in lockers in high school for playing dungeons and dragons like people go oh satanic panic chuckle chuckle 
No, that was real, kids. Okay, that happened. Nerds, and I say that generically, I'm sorry, but between, oh my God, these superhero franchises are so over it right now, or all these different things, I'm like, man, I, you don't know what you got right now. Like, we're <laughs> in a culture where nerds rule. And again, whatever you're into, let's celebrate. And again, this goes back to my Buddhist stuff, I realize, but could we celebrate the things we have in common as opposed to pointing out the things that we do not have in common? That would make conversation, daily life, getting a sandwich, it would make everything just so much easier. So please don't keep this hobby. Everyone plays and there's room for everything. You know, we have Warhammer, we also have Golden Sky stories, you know? <sighs> Yeah, I get I get pretty fired up about that one as well. I hear, definitely hear that. All right, so what projects are you working on right now that you can talk about? Uh, well, biggest one uh, that I had said uh, before was the Branch Riders role playing game. Uh, it it's a very it would take a while for me to go into all the ins and outs on it, but the uh, the basic story is that you are a branch rider, you are a, uh, a warrior of sorts, a soldier, a fighter that uh, is part of an elite squad that goes into one of eight different distinct realms to combat a force known as the Blight, which seeks to create chaos, mistrust, you know, just wants to create madness. And you go into these eight realms that are separated from each other to prevent the Blight from tearing the curtain that could disrupt all of reality. So you have skills at your disposal, gifts, which are powers that you carry with you from your home realm. And each of those realms is based on a genre convention. Uh, so we have a steampunk world, a Western world, uh, but they're all part of the same universe. Um, and it, we actually, for those who may be going to PAX Unplugged uh, this year in uh, December 2nd through the 4th in Philadelphia, PA, we are going to have a booth uh, at PAX on the main floor, but we will also be running play tests of Branch Riders downstairs in the RPG library room. Um, so that is probably one of our biggest projects. We have been picked up for publishing through Onyx Path Publishing, uh, who do a ton of different uh, games, most of you like Pug, uh, Pugmire, uh, Scion, <laughs> Exalted, um, yeah. Scarland, like tons of different systems that they do, but we are being published by them. Uh, so we are hoping on a quarter two to quarter three Kickstarter launch in 2023. We want to make sure, you know, the book of materials are about 95% done. Um, and as far as other projects, we're planning again for next year's Save Against Fear convention, which will be in York, PA during uh, hopefully again the month of October. That's our annual three-day game convention fundraiser that we run. Uh, we're probably going to add back in more of an online component because we notice people are kind of a little bit more so about doing that. Um, and for any professionals that might hear this by then, we have our TBG 201 or advanced level training course, uh, which is designed for people who already know about RPGs, but want to learn about how to build the therapy in for clinical use. That'll be run this Saturday uh, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Zoom. Uh, it's $200 for the eight-hour session, but it'll get you seven CE hours through MBCC. So if any professionals out there, just go to our main website, and uh, you can find it. Uh, it's www.thebodonagroup.com.org. Uh, I'm sorry, thebodonagroup.org. 
uh, B-O-D-H-A-N-A, and you find all the other information. Those are kind of our major products and projects at the moment. Okay. So is that, um, I was going to ask, what's the best place uh, to contact you? The, that website then is the best place to start? Yep. Yeah, you, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you go to the main website, there's a contact us link there. You could also just email us the Bodana group at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us at the Bodana group on Twitter. Uh, we're also on Facebook as the Bodana group. Uh, we're exploring one of the other new shots for social media. We're also at the Bodana group on Instagram. <clears throat> but yeah, if you want to get in touch with us for any number of the things that we've talked about, consultation, training, um, information about us, yeah, just email us, the Bodana group at gmail.com. And I'm normally the one who answers those, executive director. I wear all the hats. So. <laughs> well, Jack, thanks so much for coming on the show. And everyone check out those links in the show notes. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for watching or listening and a huge shout out to those who support us on a monthly basis through our Patreon. It really makes a difference. Uh, it gives us a chance to interact with you on our discord and, uh, and, and which I love just getting to know people better. And so a big shout out to our new patrons, Roy, Melestra and Michaela. Thank you so much for your support. All right. If you see this show being helpful, Hit the like button if you're watching this on YouTube, or if you'd like to see more, subscribe. If you know people that need to hear this, please pass it on to them. And if you, like me, think everyone needs to hear this, pass it on to your social media friends. And really, we would love, all right, with the holidays coming up, this is my request. Uh, this is my, my Christmas list, my, you know, my holiday uh, wish list. However, you watch this or listen to this uh, whatever you use to to get your podcasts or, or if you're watching it on youtube stop and leave a review uh, if you're watching this on youtube leave a comment i'd love to hear from you if you're listening to this on uh, some kind of a podcast player you get it from a podcast directory somewhere go to that directory and leave a review right it makes a huge difference in helping more people find this and uh so Please, I really appreciate it if you could just make a point. And if you're if you're busy uh, doing something right now, give yourself a reminder and and jump in later and post that review. That'd be really helpful and just gives us the opportunity to help a lot more people. All right. So thank you so much for joining us to make lives better with D and D. And we close with this question: How do you use role playing games to provide encouragement to your friends?